Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and enlightening conversations around movement practice and how you can become the most heroic version of yourself through pursuing movement that's relevant to your nature. This is a podcast that's going to feature some of the top movers in the world, some of the most amazing movement thinkers, and people from fields that are related to movement as far afield as evolutionary theory, strength and conditioning, and everything in between. So if you're interested in movement, please stick around. And if you like our work and want to support it, please consider supporting us on Patreon because this podcast is completely listener supported. We don't want to take any advertising. We don't want to interrupt your experience of watching the show. So what really helps us get the best thinkers on, have the time to put these together, have the best quality for you guys as far as audio and video is your support. So please consider supporting us and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey guys, this week on the Evolve Move Play podcast, we've got some story time for you guys. But first, a bit of housekeeping. So if you haven't seen the announcement, Return to the Source 2020 is going to go on sale January 15th. This is the biggest event of our year, really the landmark event. We take you to the spots that I've been training for the last 14 years that have really built my practice, where all of our staff and our most experienced students come together and share an incredible week. Uh, at my family property and traveling around from there. It's really a beautiful experience. With returning students, we only have 10 spots to sell this year. This is the least we've ever had to sell. Um, we expect we're gonna sell out probably in the first day, if not the first week. Um, so if you wanna be involved in that, make sure to jump on the wait list. So what we're sharing today is actually a story that we've told for the last four years. Um, at Return to the Source, and another story which is a new story for us. We believe that storytelling is a key part of the connections that movement practice brings to us, and that through story and through narrative, we start to understand and make insights into what we're actually oriented towards in our movement practice. So in this episode, I'm going to be sharing two stories that I think contain some really important insights into what the purpose of movement practice is and what we're oriented towards. We're not going to analyze the stories in this episode. We're going to write a blog post, you know, here in a couple of days where we're going to share and kind of go deeper into the insights behind why we're sharing the stories. But we figured we'd let you watch them, enjoy it, and then um, and digest it and see what it means to you. We'd love to hear your comments, hear what you have to say, um, you know, drop a comment here on YouTube. And uh, for now, enjoy. Many, many years ago, during the late Roman Empire, there was a client kingdom in the Middle East called Selene. And this was a very peaceful kingdom. It was a kingdom that was well-ordered and well-governed. And the crops were coming every year consistently. The harvests were good. Right, and the people were happy. <laughs> and then one day, a dragon beset the kingdom of Selene. It flew down from the sky and began to burn people's crops. It carried away their cattle and their pigs and their sheep, ate them, and even carried away the people, destroyed them. Carried away the people? The dragon despoiled the land, and everyone was in fear. They huddled in their houses. They avoided being outside. Slowly, their grain supplies and their food stores dwindled and dwindled, and they didn't know what they were going to do. 
So one day, uh, day they decided, maybe there's some way we can appease the dragon. They knew the dragon had settled in a cave in a mountain that sat just above the kingdom. And so the people of Selene, they gathered into a parade and they went to the dragon's cave as he was sleeping and they called out to the dragon, is there anything we can do? Is there any way that you will spare us and you will spare our land? And the dragon responded, if one of you will sacrifice themselves to me every month, then I'll let the rest of you be. And so the people of Selene agreed. Every one of them put their name on a pebble and they dropped the pebble in the urn. And every month a name was pulled from the urn. And the people would gather in a parade and they would take the appointed sacrifice to the cave or they would chain them to a stake and the dragon could come and eat them at their leisure. And this passed for many years. But one day, they reached into the urn and the name they pulled out was the daughter of the king. The king was heartbroken. He never thought such a tragedy could possibly hit his own family. He went to his daughter and spoke to her. He said, I'm, I'm heartbroken that I'll never see your wedding day. But the princess was willing to be sacrificed. The king offered all of his money, half of his lands, to anyone who would put a child in her place. But nobody came forward. And so on the appointed day, they dressed the princess as if for her wedding. They paraded her to the cave and they chained her to the stake and they left her there. And then a young Roman soldier, George, came riding down the road on his horse with his lance. George. Yes, George. And, uh... That's Henry's brother. <laughs> <laughs> And he saw the princess, and he asked her, why do you look so sad on your wedding day? She said, I'm, I'm to be married to a dragon, and my wedding gift will be death. He said, I will stay, I will fight this dragon for you. She said, please, no. It's bad enough that I die. No one needs to die in my place. But as they were speaking, the dragon awoke, he came out of his cave. George jumped up to, uh, to fight the dragon. He mounted his horse, he couched his lance, he charged at the dragon and pierced it in the shoulder. The dragon fell down screaming. George ran to the princess and unchained her from the, uh, from the stake. When the dragon saw this, he was enraged. He shook away the lance. He began to charge George. George ran and hid behind a rock. The dragon spewed poison and flames at the rock. George was without his weapon. There was nothing he could do. But the princess didn't run away. She saw George stuck behind the rock, and she did the only thing she could. She tried to distract the dragon. She took her girdle and she threw it at the dragon. And by a miracle, the 
The girdle wrapped itself around the dragon's neck, and it tamed the dragon. That's a miracle. Yeah, a girdle tames a dragon. Who would have thought? <laughs> I'm not even sure. It's a woman's garment. It's clearly in a circle. Yeah, yeah. I kind of imagine it's like a garter. I don't know. Uh, garter would work better. Is that a garter? <laughs> a girdle pulls your belly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gird your loins. There you go. So, <clears throat> the story is not done, my friends, unfortunately. The George and the princess and the now tame dragon, they, uh, they march down from the mountain to the center of the kingdom, to the city at the center of the kingdom. But when the townsfolk saw the dragon, they were enraged and fearful, and they began to throw stones at the dragon and throw stones at the princess and George. George, realizing that they would never accept the dragon, pulled out his sword and chopped the dragon's head off. And that's where the story ends. Strange coda. So I think this story is very meaningful, and I have my own little interpretation of it. It's an archetypal story. It's one of many dragon stories, um, which is part of a broader class of stories that you might call, that are called in folklore research, the, the confrontation with chaos. Chaos Kampf. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm gonna leave the story there for tonight. We will explore the ideas of it more. You may have enjoyed it. You may have thought, like, something about that story is also kind of weird. What's going on here? Um, yeah, so it'll be fun to talk about. So my next story is a story that I read sort of in uh, Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning, which I think is an interesting switch on some of the themes of that story. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't find it, and, uh, and so I'm going to have to fudge it a little bit. So this is sort of that story and my interpretation of it. So, many, many years ago, there was a kingdom called Odd. One of the princes of the kingdom was named Martel. And Martel, the young prince of Odd, he was not the this first in line to the throne, but he proved himself to be the fiercest of his brothers, the best hunter, the best warrior, the best at everything. And so his father selected him said, you will be my heir. You will inherit the kingdom when I die. But Martel was not satisfied with this. He knew that if he was to be king, he could never accept his brothers, that they would be a threat to his rule. And so one by one, he had them killed. <laughs> You're still alive, so. <laughs> Bliss is still alive, Timmers. <laughs> Uh, not dead yet. There you go. So as he became the king, he looked around him and he saw enemy kingdoms everywhere. And he knew if he was to have the peace that his kingdom needed, every one of them would have to be defeated. So he brought fire and sword to all of his enemies until all of them bowed before him. And the people screamed, what a great king. How powerful, how majestic, how 
blessed are we to have a king who can lead our nation like this. With all his enemies subdued and all his brothers dead, he began to look around the kingdom and see that everywhere there were the seeds of rebellion. And so we began to root out all the rebels, all the seditious. And he found every little conspiracy against him and he crushed it. And then there was peace in the kingdom. The kingdom was very peaceful, it was very orderly. Everything went well, the people were happy. But the king still was not happy. He knew there was a threat to him somewhere. So he had the castle walls built higher and higher and higher, and thicker and thicker and thicker. Still, he knew that there was a threat. So he decided to, be a, to build a tower. A tower so high you could see his enemies anywhere. So he built a tower. Yeah, the stars are out. He built a tower. Year after year after year, he built this tower until it pierced the very heavens. And from there he knew he could look down and see everything that everyone in the kingdom was doing and he could know the moment a rebellious thought was held by one of his subjects. But not long after that, the rain stopped falling in his kingdom. The crops grew parched. The wells began to dry up. The people had been happy. They still said they were happy. But nothing new was happening. Women began to stop having babies. And slowly the king became desperate. Who could save his kingdom? So he began to send out word to all the kingdoms nearby, to all the people in his kingdom. Who can bring the waters back? So there's a young tailor in a kingdom nearby, one of the many kingdoms that had been despoiled by the great King Martel. But he took up the challenge. He went to the land of Aud. He saw that no rain fell, that the wells were dry, that the crops were parched, that the people were starving. And he looked all around. He looked everywhere and he couldn't see a cause for this. But he noticed something. He noticed that no one in this kingdom ever looked up. Because they could see that tower up there and they knew it was looking down at them and they didn't want to know it was looking down on them. They didn't want to be confronted by it. So he started to think, maybe that's where we haven't looked. So he climbed up the tower, the tower that only the king had ever climbed. On the top of it, he found that there was a hole in the heavens. And down from this hole was falling all of the water. It was falling down into a hole straight in the ground below the tower. And all the water was disappearing there. No way. <laughs> so being a tailor... <laughs> it's an archetypal story, my friend. It's, <laughs> it doesn't happen exactly like that. So being a tailor, he sewed the sky closed. 
and he knocked the top off the tower so that it stopped piercing the sky, and then the rains returned. And the people declared him king, deposed the old king, and once again, crops grew, women had children, the people laughed, plays were put on, the old king was reviled in stories, parodies and comedy returned to the land, and that's how the king of Odd was replaced and the waters of heaven returned. So, tomorrow I'm going to tell one more story, and I'm going to tell you how I think those two stories connect, and what they have to do with why we're all here. But for now, let it sit. Tell me what you think. Thanks for listening to the Evolve Move Play podcast. If you really like the content we're putting out, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps tremendously in getting the word out about what we're doing. And of course, you really want to support us. You can support us on Patreon. This is a listener-funded podcast. And through your funding, it allows us to have the best equipment and to attract the best guests and build our audience. So we really appreciate it if you do those things. And we look forward to talking to you next time.